Okay. Hey, everybody. Uh, Mason here, coming in in front of the show. Uh, so what you're about to hear is the top 10 things of 2020 list. No one eyes. Criteria for this was just anything from this year that helped us get through. That could be... Uh, for me, it was mostly movies and music. For Noah, it was a little bit of everything. Um, and I think we have a pretty solid um, list here. Uh, I was really happy with this discussion, really happy with what ended up on our lists. Um, but, uh, what happened was the first 20 or so minutes of the recording were lost because I got zoomed and there was not a zoom backup. So we're just going to have to do a little bit of taping here. It's still going to be a good episode. I'm still going to do work some editing magic on this to make it, uh, make it what it is. You're still going to get your parody song, you know, thank God. Uh, you're still going to hear Noah's honorable mentions in sort of episode context. Um, but my side was lost, unfortunately. Um, so that's why I'm here coming from the show, just to tell you what to look out for. There's going to be an abrupt shift in audio quality uh, on my side of things as we transition from the Zoom recording that we were able to salvage and when I was able to start getting a clean record on my side of things. Uh, but in any case, you know, just wanted to come in front of the show, let you know that, and also to share my honorable mentions. Uh, like I said, anything from this year was game. For me, it was mostly movies and music. Uh, I got, uh, eight honorable mentions here, as well as my top ten. So the four music choices for me this year, uh, which got an honorable mention spot were, um, the I'm Allergic to Dogs EP, which you can hear us, uh, talk about at length on the, um, uh, uh, the Nina Kramer episode, I forget which one that is. Uh, there's a song called I Wanna Be a Cowboy Baby by the Irish artist C-Matt, C-M-A-T. It's been a, uh, I thought it was a real treat. I think it's a real fun song. Uh, she's one to look out for for me. Um, really happy with that one. The Soccer Mommy song, Circle the Drain, also ended up in my honorable mentions there. And the Westerman album, Your Hero Is Not Dead. Westerman's one of my favorite contemporary musicians. I like the way he makes his guitar sound. I like how all of his songs have a fun kind of uh, different sort of... They're very painterly. They're very visual. Like I feel like each one has a different color. Uh, and the, this album was like kind of him uh, uh, showing off his palette almost in a way. Um, in, in, in any case, uh, those are my you know honorable mentions. Music this week, this year. Uh, my honorable mention movies... Uh, Opal from Jack Stauber, which we talked about two episodes previous and had cursed us. Um, the Hong Sang Soo movie, The Woman Who Ran, which I watched thanks to friend Ryan Kenny. Um, really mature work from Hong. Really, I think, signals a um, shift kind of in his perspective. Um, and of course, Ken Min, he kills it as always. Uh, Kelly Reichert's movie, First Cow, which if you know, are paying attention to me on Letterboxd, I ranked very highly, much higher than kind of other um, things that made this list, but, you know, evaluating that movie against other movies I saw this year um, versus evaluating it against things that uh, got me through this year. I ended up seeing First Cow fairly recently, so I couldn't quite make it, uh, but I felt it deserved a mention as well. And then the last movie... Uh, to put on the honorable mentions list, which uh, may be a cancelable offense, and you will find me in Chicago and then drown and quarter me for saying this, but uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Uh, I understand that people don't like that movie. I understand that people 
have issues with it that is totally fine with me. Criticisms are valid, this, that, and the other thing. I had a good time watching it. I thought it was a blast. I like watching the cars go zoom zoom backwards and crash into each other and flip and then, you know, unflip themselves and then the, 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 the bullets fly backwards into the gun and it's all very cool. And I'm, I'm a dumb, I'm, uh, I'm a dumb man. I'm a dumb, I'm dumb, I'm a dumb dumb. Uh, I like action movies. I like when uh, cool things happen in movies. Uh, and I did not see it in theaters. I waited till it was safe for me to see it. Um, but yeah, that's that. So uh, I guess without further ado. All right, here we go. Here's the parody song for this week. Some people call me the Space Joker. Some people need the Gangster Joker. Some people call me Joker. Of the sacred Joker's trick. People talk about me, baby. Say I'm tricking your ass, tricking your ass. Well, don't you worry, bats, don't worry. Cause I'm right here, right here, right here, right here. Cause I'm a Joker. I'm a joker, I'm a joker, and I'm a joker. Play my tricks out in the sun. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight joker. I sure don't want to trick no one. Cause I'm the Riddler, no I'm the joker. I'm a lover, and I'm a joker. I tricked you. My honorable mentions, tough, really tough. Like I said, this this list was very tough for me to put together. There are things on this list that at one point, even if it was very briefly, were on the actual list themselves. In terms of movies, I got Dick Johnson is Dead, documentary on Netflix. Great movie, really, really great movie. Very touching, very warm, very like existentially like dreadful at certain points because the whole thing revolves around the idea of the director's father dying of dementia and sort of succumbing to that but an absolutely heartwarming story about a father and a daughter and just like the idea of family just always just being that thing you know regardless of how challenging family can be at times being that thing that sort of centers you uh, in a lot of ways really really touching movie it's on Netflix if you're in the US so definitely definitely check that one out another documentary that I did have on my list toward the bottom of the list and unfortunately had to take off the official list feels good man uh, this is the documentary about Pepe the Frog, the meme, and sort of how that turned into a hate symbol. Uh, re- maybe the best political documentary of the Trump like administration. And I mean political in the sense of like 
dissecting how something that is innocuous can become poisonous, basically, in that sense. And just absolutely just opened my eye in a really, really, my, with my third fucking internet eye, my insane fucking, you know, like, idea of, like, how 4chan and how Reddit can absolutely spread ideas and be used to propagate things. It's not, I, I believe I watched, I had to rent it on Amazon for, like, five bucks, but I promise you it's worth it. Like, absolutely worth checking out, and they did it themselves, you know? Like, I think this whole thing was independently distributed because I think that they had some problems getting a big uh, streaming platform to get it because it is a little bit controversial as far as, like, the subject matter. So, five bucks, absolutely worth a stream on that one. Mason, did you see Feels Good Man? No. There you go. Uh, on Amazon Prime, this one just came out, and it, again, just missed the list. Uh, Darius Martyr's Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed. This, I know, that's what I'm saying. It's really good. It starts out and you think, oh, is this going to be a really boring average movie? And it's pretty much anything but. You know, it is deeply introspective, deeply sad, but also deeply life-affirming, I think, by the end, I would, I would argue. Even though there is some very difficult scenes to watch in this movie. Uh, really, really interesting movie. Didn't quite make the f- official list, but I wanted to shout it out anyway. And then as far as music is concerned, I also have I'm Allergic to Dogs by Remy Wolf on my honorable mentions list from the Nina Kramer app. Just go listen to that app if you really want to hear Mason, Nina, and I really talk about it. But it's so fucking fun. It's five songs and, you know, a photo ID is literally like the lost Smash Club banger of 2020 that we won't get. And my final honorable mention literally pains me that this is not on the official list, but after very much deliberation, it is the final thing, and if I had to rank my honorable mentions, this would be the easy number 11, and that is Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It just, just misses the list, and I am so sad that it misses the list because it is a great album, but as far as things that like meant something to me, this year, I think the 10 things on this list that I'm about to talk about meant more to me personally than Fetch the Bolt Cutters ultimately did, even though it's a great album. Do I think it's a perfect 10 album like Pitchfork does? Absolutely not. Still a great album. Those are my honorable mentions. Uh, I have a feeling some of those things on my list actually might, maybe one of them might come up for you, Mason. But now we should get into the actual lists themselves. Mason, do you want to start us off with your number 10? No. JK, let's get to the list. Number 10, uh, Joel Haver's movie, Pretend That You Love Me. Uh, it's for free on YouTube. It has less than 10,000 views. Someone that I followed on Letterboxd gave it the old five stars and mentioned that it was free on YouTube. So I was like, why not just give this another, sh- why not give this a shot? I need to watch something from this year. So I feel like I'm having some kind of, um, uh, some kind of uh, just like sort of connection to the culture or whatever. Um, and it starts and it's a movie basically about a guy kind of filming three or four or five, maybe first dates on kind of different camera angles, basically doing the same thing, um, jumping across. And um, as the movie unfolds, it becomes this exploration of, um, art and grief um, in a way that was completely surprising and um, 
just really hit the kind of like reward center in my brain where I was like, I don't know. After like about the halfway point of the movie, I was like, I don't know where this thing is going to go. And I was just kind of floored by this. I watched it in my living room and I think I like kind of slid off my couch and off the floor. Damn. Um, I don't want to talk too. Yeah. I don't want to talk too much more about it just because I think it's like, it's less, I think it's about an hour and a half. It's free on YouTube. Um, and it's really kind of, uh, it's an exploration of like art an exploration about grief it's an exploration about um how your um how your emotional needs and your artistic needs kind of intersect um it's a very it's a very i think emotionally complicated movie um and it was just one of those things where i'm like i feel like i'm watching something really special here um that one like i said almost did not make my list um but at the at the last minute i was like no i feel like i have to give this one a spot so pretend that you love me by joel haver um is my number 10 and if uh you haven't seen it give it a shot i have never seen this movie but i actually had that youtube channel come up in my recommended section on YouTube recently because the man makes shorts all the time. This guy is constantly yeah. making things and he has a very interesting about section in his on his YouTube page and I'm not going to pull it up just because we want to make sure we you know get through this these lists because we both have things we want to talk about but I would just honestly recommend going out to that page and just reading the about section of his YouTube page because it's really inspiring actually like he's very much all about like it doesn't matter if people even watch the thing it's more important to have made the thing and gone through the process of making something whether it be a short or a feature that is most important which i completely am in alignment with so haven't seen pretend that you love me but i that name joel haver has been in my brain recently because of his youtube channel coming up on recommended but very nice moving on may i move on to my number 10 mace uh, I would love it if you. I would love it if you moved on to your number ten. Thanks, Chef. Number ten, and we're gonna do the film spotting thing where if something does come up for both of us, we'll talk about it at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. Coming in at number ten on my list. Very surprised that it ended up this low on the list, but I knew I had to include it somewhere, and for a while it wasn't even on the list, and I was really sad that this movie. This is the movie that made me really sad that going to see a movie in theaters right now is just not a safe option and not really a viable option. And it might be a weird choice for that, but this is Eliza Hittman's never rarely, sometimes always. Uh, Oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm really hot on that movie and just, I feel so bad that it's not ending up on my list at all. Actually. I was, I was super hot on that movie, but I just couldn't find space for it. But that one gets a big old cosign stamp from me. Uh, in my letterbox top, it's like definitely going to stay in my letterbox top 10, but I just couldn't find a spot for them on this particular list. So go off, King. No, yeah, this this movie is just empathetic filmmaking on such a degree that, like, this is the kind of movie that I really miss having theaters for because sitting in that room with a bunch of, you know, friends or strangers, you know, or a mix of the two, and just going into another world. I mean, this is a world that... I think a lot of people, you know, and maybe unfortunately a lot of people have to go through is like, how can I get this procedure? The movie is about a teenage abortion uh, and she has to go out of 
her life basically she has to leave her like community and life to travel to new york to get it because where she lives like doesn't have the like basically the legislature let her get an abortion that young so she has to travel mm-hmm. to new york city to get it and it's a journey about just growing it's a, it's a she has to grow up really fast and you know eliza hitman does an amazing job of really putting you in her perspective really at times making you almost not like the character because of how she's treating the people sort of around her in her life, really having moments where you're just Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is such a challenging thing that a lot of people will just never know about. And it really does give you the empathy. At least I have felt the empathy for Mm -hmm. her in that situation. And the sound design is beautiful. The way it's shot is beautiful. The performances are beautiful. I think Eliza Hitman is just supremely talented and so i wish it i wish yeah. it could be higher on the list but ultimately it, it, it does sit at number 10 but it's a huge recommend for me i think everything on my list is a huge full recommend but yeah, yeah. that's that's good that gets yeah. that gets my number 10 slot never rarely sometimes yeah. always i will say that i think the 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 sort of eponymous scene the scene that she that they say never rarely sometimes always that that's the you know it's kind of the centerpiece of the movie that might be my single favorite scene from anything I've seen this year. Sure. And um, I forget the name of the actor that plays the main character, but that's probably one of, if not my favorite performance from this year. Sure. Um, I agree with you 100%. I think that this is it's a movie about a sensitive person who lives in an insensitive time and place. And that kind of, like, prickliness that you're describing, how that's a defense mechanism. Um, but at this, uh, but at the same time, you know, she has this, uh, this her, her best friend, who's also her cousin, goes along with her on this journey. And you kind of understand uh, from, as, 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 as a man, as right now a 27-year-old man, you understand, in a way, I think, the co- sort of inherent danger of being a young woman um, in a situation like this. Um or just in general, uh, I think it, there's it's just just fantastic gross man movie. There's so many gross men in that fucking movie. Absolutely, um, the fucking guy yeah. who's their boss at the at the grocery store is like top tier gross guy. Oh, that guy, and then the guy that they meet on the bus also is a fucking asshole. But that's the um, amazing thing is that they code that guy. You know, they pretend that that guy is presented to us in a way where you don't think he's going to be that way. You think that that guy is going to be an yeah. ally. And then yeah. how he is revealed to you and sort of how his motives are are revealed to you both through dialogue and performance and direction. It's just fucking top tier shit. So that's yeah. that's that's a big fucking movie you gotta check out if you have HBO I think it's on HBO Max now. So if you have HBO Max Oh hell yeah. Definitely check it out. That's where I watched it. But Mason, what is your number yeah. nine? My number nine is your number eleven. My number nine is fetch the bolt cutters. There you go. Um yeah, I think that for better or for worse, this is going to be the album of 2020 just because um, just the theme of escape that's in that and how kind of um, trapped everyone feels right now. And when it came out in April, it was like this feel this, it's it's so prescient that Fiona Apple made this album at this time, which is why I think, you know, got that pitchfork 10. Um that one kind of passes the Mace McGuire test. Not a bad song as far as I can think. And I remember when it first came out, it was like heavy rotation for me, especially the song Newspaper. If I had to give an MVP, it would probably be the song Newspaper. I put that song on repeat fucking city. Um, it's so 
nice to have Fiona Apple um, around, and I love that she made um, an album on her own terms. Um, and it, I just really, really, really value that, and I think it's going to be something that's going to... This I have two full albums on this list. Um, this and both of them, I kind of wanted to put my weight behind and be like, these are really going to be kind of um, benchmark albums for future artists in a way. Um, it's kind of a thing where like, if Fiona Apple can make an album like with all of her resources and all of her, uh, you know, uh, cultural cash or whatever, and she can just she just made an album in her fucking home on GarageBand where there's dog sounds everywhere and, and stuff like that that sounds like this. Anybody can do it. Um, and that's why it's at my number nine there. I, I'm kind of with you that it's like some folks got really, really hyped about it. Um, but I just could not leave it off my list. And that's why it's it's number nine for me. It's a great album. I mean, it really is. It, it was in heavy rotation for me as well at the beginning. And then I sort of went back and went through it. I'm not 100% on board that it passes the Mason McGuire test and that every song is good. But there isn't any song on there that I think is like, overly bad i think that there's songs on that album that are just not as interesting when you get a little bit later into the mm. album and that's okay. kind of what i think the album is so good at when it's at its highs is that it's like damn this is just interesting this is just like it's whether you're emotionally riveted or not every single song is intellectually stimulating as far as like how did she put that together how did she decide that that was going yeah, to be yeah. what that song sounds like um but yeah a great album Unfortunately, couldn't make it onto my list, but, you know, it. What, what can you say when Pitchfork rarely gives perfect 10s, especially not when albums first come out, and then they give this a perfect 10 right off the rip, and we only get a Fiona Apple album, like, every, like, five years. So, big yeah. shout-outs to Fiona Apple. Uh, she's amazing. You go, girl. <laughs> That's what I'll say to Fiona Apple. Yeah. You go, girl, because she really you needs go, to girl. hear that from me. Uh, but, th- yeah, great pick. Am I good to move on to my nine? Yeah, absolutely. What's up? What's up? So I don't know if you actually saw this or not, Mason, because we talked about you watching it, and I don't remember if you actually did or not. But when I heard that this was going to happen this year, I got so excited. And I couldn't decide what of this person's I was going to include on the list, but I knew I had to include something that he did this year. He had a TV show come out on Showtime. He had an album come out with one of the like biggest rising you know, alternative female singers, songwriter, musicians in the game right now. And then mm-hmm. he also did this. And so my number nine, and he does a podcast every single week as well that I love, but my number nine is An Evening with Tim Heidecker. Uh, this is a stand-up special that came out mm-hmm. with like in the last quarter. I can't remember. I think it was October or November uh, of 2020. Yeah. And it's a parody satire of stand-up. And I knew that he was capable of doing something like this. And I was so glad that he was the one who did it because I've always wanted to see someone go up there, go up on stage, do stand-up, but absolutely rip most stand-up to shreds. Because most stand-up is not funny. And he knows it. (laughs) And he does not hold back in this special the opening five minutes are literally him screaming over music telling people to shut the fuck up as he puts a microphone back on a stand and can't figure out how to put it back i mean yeah and if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea 
don't bother with it. But I'm going to give it a full recommend only in the sense that, like, for an hour, it's free on YouTube. It's on his YouTube channel. You don't have to pay a fucking red cent to watch this thing. Yeah. And it's just... I thought rip-roaring funny all the way through. The Pepsi bit toward the end is something I'll never forget where he restarts the bit over and over. So that's my number yeah, nine, yeah. man. Did you actually end up watching this or not? I did end up actually watching it. Um, it's I am fairly new to the Tim Heidecker, I'll say just extended universe. Like sure. I just, uh, Colin is really big on, on cinema and we would watch on cinema together. And that was like kind of my first time going through that. What it's so funny about this, uh, his special is it's he's kind of doing a parody of people who think they can do stand up for sure, you know, like his whole thing, his whole sort of like artistic MO when he's in character as Tim Heidecker is this like kind of um pathetic man that just thinks that because he can see it, he can do it and has like just a well of confidence to uh, attempt the fucking thing. Um, and it's so. This I, I do also co-sign the special. Um, I honestly forgot that I watched it just because I forget that I watch most stand-up that I watch because sure. most of it's bad. Um, or I don't want to say it's bad. There, there's good stand Who gives a shit? Whatever. Um, but no, really fucking funny. Really good. Really fun. Um, the Pepsi bit is hilarious. And uh, yeah, that's great. I also would co-sign the album that came out this year uh, that he did with Wise Blood. I know that's something that's on your list to bring on the show. Yep. And I think we should do it. I think that'd be a fun that'd be a fun show. I think we should do it as well. Like I said, Tim is prolific. It always seems like he's got something cooking, and it always seems that he, in a in a way, I think he's also sort of like a, I don't know what you would call this person or like what this role what the role of this person was, but he really likes to find new th- people as well and sort of like take them along as well. If people are into this is Branchburg or like are aware of this is Branchburg, that was a reality because of absolutely productions, which he co-founded with uh, Eric Wareheim. Uh, mm. And if you like that, then that is partly responsible because of Tim. If you like all gas, no breaks, he's going to start doing a show with absolutely productions. Eric Andre is part of absolutely Productions, So like he really likes to shepherd talent, I guess also as well, which I think is really cool mm. of him. Um, but this special is absolutely worth your time. It's a trip. And the last 10 minutes are really strange because he something happens that is not congruent with what else happens in the special. And it's weird, but it works. And it's really not part of the special ultimately, but it's a part of like the experience of watching the special. So Tim or an evening with Tim Heidecker coming in at number nine for me. Could it couldn't leave Tim off the list. Had to get one Tim thing on the list. Mason, go ahead and take us into your number eight. My number eight. So, um, I internally this year, there's a lot of talk about, Oh, I can't believe that. I, Bad Boys for Life was the last movie I saw in theaters. Or, oh, I can't believe that Sonic the Hedgehog was the last movie I saw in theaters. And for, sure. and for most of the year, until I double-checked it for this podcast, I thought that the last movie I saw in theaters was um, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was also interesting because that had ended up being the first time that I met my now-current roommate Colin in person after being online friends for years. Oh, yeah. Um... Uh, but I got the I got the schedule wrong. So my number eight is actually the last movie that I saw in theaters. I saw it with my friend Olivia. Um, I went to the Century Center in um, downtown Chicago, Hell yeah. off of uh, Broadway and Division. No, Diversity and uh, no Clark and Diversity. 
who gives a shit? Um, That's what I'm saying, movie, baby. The, who gives a shit about yeah. Chicago geography? <laughs> uh, anyways, went there, and I sat my little butt down in the theater, and I watched the movie The Assistant. Nice. Peter Green's The Assistant. Yes. Um, at the time in February, and I think even now, it was kind of like um, – if you want to know what it's like being the lowest person on the rung at like a movie at like a movie production company, this is a pretty it's it's a pretty good um it's kind of the worst case scenario because like the assistant is the assistant to like a Harvey Weinstein type and you never see the fucking guy. It's all about her day and just the sort of like slow monotonous degradation of uh her like kind of day to day. Uh, it's such a gray movie. It's such a um, uh, 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 a rootinous movie. Um, it's it's a really fantastic, just kind of like character piece, and almost like I would like almost almost a noir, even though there's no like kind of crime element to it. Um, it's just like because it, you're watching basically someone uh, who, on a day to day level, is selling their soul out for God knows why. Uh, and taking all manner of abuse for the shot of maybe being close to something. And as someone who used to work in the industry and who wanted to kind of be on that track, it was like, oh shit, like I got, I'm so happy that I just got out of that. And that never ended up working out for me. Um, it's like, I think it's, it's like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, the central, the central performance by Julia Garner as the assistant, um, in, impeccable. I love Julia Garner. She's one of my favorite, like, kind of newer actors. Uh, she's great on The Americans. I'm not going to watch Ozark, but I hear she's great on Ozark. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Love that. Love to hear that. Yeah, so, um, I don't know. I That's, um, that was a movie, I saw that movie early this year, pre-pandemic, and I thought, fuck, this is, if this is what we're starting out with this year, it's going to be a, end up being a really good year for movies. And I'm sure in a couple years when I've seen more movies from this year and can speak on it, it'll end up being the case. Um, But it was a high point of the early part of the year. It stayed kind of in my top um, five of the year. And um, it just in terms of it being like um, one of the last things I did in the pre in the pre times in the uh, B B C B coronavirus. um, Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And just, it, like I'm, it's it has this sort of like emotional emotional uh, importance to me, but just in also in terms, it's just a really fucking good movie. Uh, I haven't rewatched it. I think it would kind of also take a lot out of me <laughs> if I watched it again, just because it is so soul crushing and so uh, cold and depressing. But man, really fucking good movie. The uh, last movie I saw prior to lockdown, prior to coronavirus becoming a pandemic in the United States, The Way Back, starring Ben Affleck. Uh, as the drunk basketball coach. Oh, the drunk basketball coach movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's Ben Affleck's like? Ben Affleck's um, recent career, just his starring vehicles. I think that's is that the same guy that did the assistant too, or the accountant? I mean, it is the same guy who did the accountant. It's the same guy who did Warrior. Uh, the man. I don't know. What were you gonna say? I said I don't know what it is about that guy's filmography in specific that makes it feel like um, fake movies from like. A TV show or something where it's like you know yeah I 
I get what you're saying. It is not the last movie I thought I was going to be seeing in theaters by any stretch of the imagination, and that was kind of the beauty of being able to go to the movies, even though movies were already in a weird state as far as theatrical release was concerned. But that was like a movie where it's like, yeah, we'll put it out in March because some people will see it, you know, whatever. Like, who cares at the end of the day? Um, That was the last movie I ended up seeing in theaters uh, prior to lockdown. I was, I was going to ask you that, and I completely forgot to ask you that before we started the list, so I'm glad that that came up. Uh, I also did see The Assistant this year. I think it's on Hulu, I believe, now. So if you have Hulu, likely mm-hmm. you can check it out there. And the reason why The Assistant works is because it's not the worst-case scenario of what could happen. It is showing you exactly how it happens. It is not, exactly. you know, exactly. like like, it's not like a horror movie in the sense it's like, the worst thing that could happen if you were like stuck in a house by yourself is that someone is you know broke into your home. This is a nightmare because this is what people who are assistants on any level of the entertainment industry deal with to a greater or lesser degree. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that makes you realize that purgatory may actually be worse than hell. <laughs> sure, sure, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I like this movie a lot. Wasn't going to ever make an honorable mention, I think, for me, but I think as far as like movies that I liked from this year that I saw, I think it's in the lower rung of my top 10. So I'll give it a, I'll give it a full rec as well. Am I good to move on to number eight? I'd love to hear your number eight. Let's keep going. All right, Mason. Number eight is the only video game to make my list. All right, brother. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so we're in lockdown. Okay. We're in quarantine and I get, the fucking itch, Mason. The fucking itch of all itches. The mother itcher to play a skateboarding video game. I wanted yeah, to play brother. a skateboarding video game so Hell fucking yeah. bad. And what yeah. do I see when I open up the fucking internet one day, Mason? On September huh. 3rd, they're going to release a remaster of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. And holy Woo! fucking shit, did I fly out of my goddamn seat. And I put in a fucking pre-order for that immediately. And I was like, hell yeah. I didn't grow up playing the original four Tony Hawks. My sort of Tony Hawk era was Tony Hawks Underground and then Tony Hawks Underground 2 and then American Wasteland. That was sort of where mm. I fell in the skateboarding. And then the skate games came out and I played Skate 1 and Skate 2. Never got around to playing Skate 3, which ultimately looks like a sort of departure from the Skate series because it wasn't, you know, low angle or whatever. You could get off your board, which was not what Skate was sort of all about. It was all about realism. Whereas the Tony Hawk games were all about arcade, action-y, skateboard fun. Mason, I got the game the second, or the game came into my PS4 downloads the second that it dropped on September 3rd, which is also my dad's birthday, so shout out to Matt for having shout a birthday. Matt. Matt's same, birthday. <laughs> Matt's birthday, baby. Same day as the Tony Hawk game drop. I just remember fucking playing it for hours. I played it for hours when it came out, and I still play the game. I will literally throw on these headphones that I'm wearing right now. I yeah. will put on an album or a podcast, and I will just play Tony Hawk. For hours. I will just sit there and I will listen to a podcast or listen to an album and I'll play Tony Hawk. And that might be blasphemous to some people because it's like the soundtrack to Tony Hawk is like one of the like landmarks and like one of the calling cards of the franchise. But brother, it's some of the most fun I've had during lockdown where I'm like, okay, my options are limited. So I'm going to escape with the sonically into my headphones and I'm going to escape visually into the world of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 Remaster. 
so fun if you have a PS4. I don't know if it's for Xbox One. I have a feeling it actually is. So if you have a next-gen console or a PS5 or Xbox Series X or whatever, this is absolutely worth the, like, 50 bucks or whatever it is. You'll just have so much replayability on this. So, yeah, brother. It's the only video game to make my list because I wasn't playing a lot of video games actually from 2020. So maybe if I had played, like, Ghosts of Tsushima or whatever, I actually would have included that on the list. But... Fucking mm-hmm. love Tony Hawk, dude. Love a skateboarding game. And this game pretty yeah. much delivered in every category. Yeah, I can never f- actually skateboard. One time I stepped on a skateboard, it flew right from under me like a banana peel and I landed straight on my ass. And I was Hell like, yes. I'm never going to be able to do this. Hell yes. But Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 was actually the first video game that I ever like owned and played and is probably for yes. better. If for, for all intents and purposes, my favorite video game of all time just because yeah. it's the one I've spent the most time with. And like you, that's like... I don't play a lot of video games, but for that one, it's it's like that or the Grand Theft Auto franchise where it's like, sure. I'm going to put on headphones, listen to a podcast, and just like do, like, do some mayhem here. Uh, I'm so happy that Tony Hawk made your list. I don't have my own PS4, um, so I couldn't play this game. But man, it really is making me tempted to pick up like a PS5 or something just so I can give it a little, a little spinnerino there. Hell yes, brother. I hope that you're able to get back. I hope you're able to fucking tighten your trucks, fucking grease up those wheels, and fucking shred the gnar as they say. Maybe that's a surfing thing. I don't know. But shred. I hope you can fucking shred. But number eight, yeah. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 Plus 2 Remake for the PS4, PS5, whatever, the newer consoles. Mason, what's your number seven? Uh, my number seven, uh, this is going to be a song. Um, oh, a singular single, song. A singular, yes. I have a lot of just singular songs on this. I, gotcha. I do listen to full albums, but I am a song guy, I think, more than that. Uh, not that I don't listen to albums, but I just, just my own listening habits are, I get really attached to one specific song, and maybe, you know, the emotion that it brings up or whatever, but I get really attached to one specific song, and my number seven is the Field Medic song, I Will Not Mourn Who I Was That Has Gone Away. Uh, just, uh, I Spotify gave me a pat on the back for being one of the first, I think, 50,000 people to listen to that song. <laughs> nice. Before it hit, oh, yeah, or so, dude. Some, or 15,000, I don't even know. But Spotify was like, you were, you were one of the first to listen to this. And I want to thank past, uh, past chef Jimmy Evans for posting it when that song dropped so I could give it a listen. And uh, I listened to it on a cold i want to say maybe september uh in chicago and i was just i was in my room i put it on and from the first uh kind of just guitar um strum i'm just like i'm gonna need to take a i'm just gonna need to sit down and listen to this um (laughs) brought you to your fucking ass kicked you yeah yeah it's a um how do i want to describe it it's a song about um with this year, it is very, um, uh, it, 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 it was not uncommon, or it was a, with this year, people had plans that kind of got pushed to the wayside, uh, it, even for me in particular, you know, uh, and it kind of, at least for me, a lot of the, the, the work that I had to do this year was um, kind of come to terms with the a pre the previous portion of my life and um recognize sort of growth recognize mistakes see where i can improve for the future um apologize for some stuff that i really fucked up um and this is a song that i listened to that reminds me that the only way out is through basically um 
it's a very tender song. It's a very love, a lovey, loving song. Um, and it's a song that just um, feels kind of like a nice, warm um, hug. And that's actually going to be a, a, a theme for the next for the other th- two songs that are going to pop up single songs on this list. Um, but just in terms of like just things that just actual songs that got me through really rough patches of this year. Um, this one was a big one for me. Um, Field Medic is a, uh, I think the, the album that that's on floral Prince is the, uh, artist whose name is escaping me at this point, him kind of coming to, like him, um, struggling with sobriety, um, also struggling with like sort of, um, time passing. And I don't know, it's just a really lovely song. It puts me right on my ass every single time. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just lovely. It got me through this year and I wanted to, or the latter part of this year, rather just wanted to give it a little. Put a number seven on my list. I think I've heard this song, but I don't know if I actually have heard this song. So I actually don't know if I have a lot to say about it other than I'm glad you like the song. I'm glad that it's, you know, helped you through uh, rough patches this year. But I don't honestly know if I've heard this song or not. So congratulations, Chef. Thank you. What's your number seven? (laughs) (laughs) My number seven is an album that recently came into my life. I didn't even know that this album existed until Mason and I decided, okay, we're going to do this episode where we talk about our 10 favorite things that came out in 2020, and then we're going to do another episode that will come out next week uh, that is similar along these same lines. And so I'm looking at, like, what do I need to catch up on to, like, have a somewhat of an idea of, like, things that I may have missed that came out this year. And I saw that this band released an album And I thought that after my first listen, that maybe this was going to be the number one thing on my list because I just felt it in my bones. Every single song, even if I didn't give it a little heart. I I think I know what you're going to say here. And I am honestly surprised it's not your number one, but keep going. I just fucking love this album. But when I looked at everything else that is on the list, ultimately... Number seven felt like the place I think I needed to put it as far as what else is on the list. But baby, if you have not heard Woman in, Women in Music Part 3 by Haim, you have to check this album out, dude. Okay. Holy shit. I'm, I am a little, I am a little happy that this is, we'll say, so low on your list because it's number three on mine. Hell yes, brother. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. I thought I was going to have to say this was number three and then spoil your number one, so I'm happy that we can just talk about this now. Hell yes. Okay, so Mason, here's the thing. Uh, we're going to talk about a movie uh, on our next episode <laughs> that we record. Uh, by the way, we're recording both of these episodes, the one you're hearing now and the one you're going to hear next week. We're recording them back to back so that Mason and I don't have to see each other or think about each other during the holidays, which is what we both want. Right, anyway. right. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the present that we're giving to each other. <laughs> is that we don't have to fucking think about this fucking show for and have a fucking peace and quiet for once. But... Uh, I listened to this album one time through on a drive, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I went to go watch a movie a couple days later, and I had to pause the movie because I was thinking about this album so much. And I just went in, yeah. and I like listened to the songs that I had given a heart to, and I could feel my whole entire body vibrate. This is one of the most feel-good albums that I have heard in my entire life, and I can't help but be in a good uh-huh. mood when I listen to this yeah. album. What's your story? So this is my um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters is the only other full album on this, and like you said, that one Fetch the Bolt Cutters for you does not quite pass the Mason McGuire test. Women in Music Part Three 
uh, is an out that passes the Mason McGuire test because every single song on this, I think, is capital G great. Yes, um, I would agree. I would 100% agree with you. I think every single song is knocked out of the park that- great. If it didn't, if it, if the year was different, if Fiona Apple didn't have like kind of the gift of uh, premonition or clairvoyance and write an album about being stuck inside um, or trying to escape when it was the one thing that everybody wanted to do at that point, I feel like this would be getting much more attention because it's just sure. kind of like it's it's a just an all time. I think it's a, a in a few years. I think that we're gonna come back to this and it's like this is actually an all time great album. Absolutely. Um, not a single bad song, not a bad, um, I think, artistic decision by the Heim sisters. The, 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 the songwriting is so crisp, just the lyrics there. Um, the Steps was my number six song of the year. Hell yes. On my Spotify breakdown. Um, and I thought about just doing that one, and I had to listen to the whole album just to make sure that I wasn't overlooking something that I might actually like more. And I'm like, no, I just have to give it to this whole fucking thing. Um, I was primed for a new Haim album in 2019 because they had three singles that came out, none of which are on the actual release, but are on the Spotify version. The last three tracks, if you're listening to it on Spotify, which are, I think, Hollywood, um, Summer Girl, and... Um, oh, God damn, I got you here. Uh, it's it's Hallelujah, Summer Girl, that's it. That's and it. then uh, Now I'm In It. Now I'm In It. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, okay, I am... Um, uh, uh, I am, I don't want to say I'm new to Heim, but I'm like, I've listened to, I listened to the previous album and I really liked it. Wasn't, uh, didn't, can't really remember much from their first album, even though, uh, when they dropped, it was sort of like, oh, check out these, check out these Los Angeles Space Sisters, blah, blah, blah. And, um, then they start to work with Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm like, maybe I should be paying attention to these Heim sisters and just like what their music is. And it's just, I don't know, man. I think they're kind of the best in the game right now just in terms of like rock music you know even um and i don't even know if that's i I don't know if i can it's hard for me to talk about this album just because i like i feel it so intensely and i like it so much it is a hard album to talk about it is a really hard album to talk about because it just reverberates within you yeah i just like every single second of this album and i think that if you haven't given it a spin um you're going to be really surprised and you're really just going to like it. That's really all I have to say about it. It's like kind of a capital G grade album. Um, and that's why it's number three on my list. That's why it's the highest rank uh, album, at least not the highest rank music thing with the highest rank album on my list. Yeah, there is unfortunately not unfortunately. Well, I guess, unfortunately there's one album, there's one other album on my list and it is higher uh, than this album, but this album just like, you know, you have to just hear it for yourself in order to, I think, fully appreciate what we're saying. But I promise you, if you listen to this, you're going to have a great time. You might not think every song is capital G great like Mason and I do. There's at least a handful, though, that you're going to walk away from, and they're going to be on repeat in your head or on your phone for the next month, month and a half, two months. Yeah. I really, truly yeah. believe that. My biggest songs from this are The Steps, Gasoline, 3 a.m., Leaning yes. on You, Man from the Magazine, F-U-B-T, yeah. which stands for Fucked Up But True, and then Summer Girl. I mean, every song is great, but those are the ones that I think rise to the cream of the crop for me. And there's a lot of songs in this album. I think for the Spotify version, you're getting like 16 songs, I think. Yep, 16 tracks with the bonus three that come on the Spotify release. But I love that this was on both of our lists. I was hoping there would be something that sort of crossed over, and I'm glad it was this thing. But, yeah, Mason, yeah. I think it's your turn to talk about your number six. 
My number six. Uh, this is the most recent um, watch for me. It's a movie. Now that I'm looking at my list, it goes movie, music, movie, music, movie, uh, music. Uh, I literally watched this movie last night because I, uh, just based off of word of mouth, I kind of figured that it would really resonate with me. And I was like, I have to give it the hour and 11 minutes. It's a short little little movie here and that's steve mcqueen's lover's rock um the second episode in his small axe sort of um you know, episode or film and his small axe thing on on um prime on amazon on amazon prime yes have not seen anything else from this series um but i wanted to give this one a, a little listen because i knew it was about two people meeting at a party uh in the 80s um and i watched it and i was completely smitten with it the whole time and it was nice to watch it and um, just be like, God, I just like I'm gonna be so happy when I can go to a party again, and right? Meet a strange, you know, and meet a stranger or like hang out with someone, you know, just be like with other people in the same room. And so much of this movie is just like rhythm and dancing, and you know, there's there's a room full of people and even though you might not know all of their names they're so distinct and they're so um just um specific and there's you know there's the classic there's like the guy that you know is fucking trouble because he's a little too overdressed for the occasion there's like um uh, just i think it's fucking lovely i think that anyone you know give yourself the hour and 11 minutes it's not a movie that's about a conflict or a story per se it's sort of very um it's it's very mood based more than anything you kind of have to give yourself over to it when you're watching it that it's like there's not going to be like oh a huge blow up scene at this or you know this isn't going to be uh like what's a party like a days and confused kind of thing where it's like this 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 um uh, uh major night in these people's lives you don't know at the end of the movie if this the, the couple that's getting together is going to stay together for longer than, you know, however long it's going to be. But that's kind of nice. Like, I just like that you you come in, you meet a character, you hang out with her for a night, and then you leave her the next – you leave her the next morning. And I just ended the movie with this huge fucking grin on my face, and I was like, god damn. It's, it just makes me so – happy that I got to experience similar things to this earlier in my life. And once this pandemic is over, we can get back to this thing that just, this, just this, this joie de vivre sort of thing. Um, this thing that's really meaningful and, and makes it you know, happy to be alive. Um, I loved it so much. That's really all I got to say about love Steve McQueen's lovers rock. Hell yeah. Have not checked out the small act series yet. And I, to be honest with you, I don't even know if I fully understand what it is so i'm gonna tell you what i think it is and then you tell me what it actually is okay uh this is the only thing i've seen so to the best of my knowledge at this point i will do my best okay it seems as though it's a collection of films that all are done by steve mcqueen that all relate to each other in some way not in the sense that the it's an anthology film but it's a series of films is that fair to say i think I yeah, because that's the thing. This is technically episode two. I don't know right now if characters in this show up in the earlier film Mangrove, but it's about like, I think it's uh, life with um, I think I think specifically West African and West Indies um, immigrants um, or families of of that of that group in England in the nineteen eighties gotcha. and sort of like political. I think maybe like 
their political life and things like that. And this is just like a fun, a nice party movie. Um, so everything's tied that, together because of the setting and sort of the circumstances. That's like the thing that ties it all together in theory. I, I, I believe so. That's how I understand it. Gotcha. Um, yes. Yes. We'll circle back to this after I've watched all five episodes of this. Uh, it's nuts. Like every, like the first episode in Mangrove is two hours and 20 minutes. And then every other episode is only like an hour and 10. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll, I can definitely find the time for that stuff, but that's my number. That's my number six, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's my number six. All right, so what's your number six then? So if your number six was an hour and 11 minutes, mine was over four hours, uh, Mason. My number six is over four hours. This is something I watched very recently as well, not last night, but within the last two weeks. And I was completely blown away that more more people aren't really talking about this, at least more people that I uh, have in my circle aren't talking about this because I thought this thing is... At just couldn't believe that this thing exists. If you have HBO Max, you absolutely have to check this out. Murder on Middle Beach, number six. Oh, sure, sure. Did mm-hmm. you watch this? No, but uh, I know that you were really hot on this on, on OldLetterbox.com. This is a true crime docuseries, four episodes. First three episodes are about an hour. The last episode is 90 minutes. It is about a homicide that takes place on middle beach road on the shore of connecticut in 2010 and the man making the documentary the docuseries is the child of the woman who was murdered Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this docuseries is insane if you want to watch this because it's a true crime docuseries you have enough to push you through just on the true crime stuff But the reason why this works and the reason why it's not just another true crime series, you know, it's not another abducted in plain sight or not another, you know, whatever. Not one of the one of the many true crime series that we've gotten, you know, since the streaming boom has occurred the last couple years is that this ultimately becomes a story of a son learning the truth about his mother and the truth about his family in such a raw, vulnerable way. They talk about alcoholism. They talk about this absolutely insane scheme that the mom was ultimately involved with that you just can believe, but you almost can't believe it. You know, there is just so much going on in this. It's four and a half hours all told. And if you're not watching it before the end of the year, or you're not watching it soon, you need to be. Uh, this is absolutely okay. amazing. Fed recommended this to me, so shout out to Fed for the rec on that one. Uh, really came in clutch there, buddy. Thanks. Love y'all for that one. This is an amazing series. You just have to see it to believe it. I don't want to give anything else away because obviously there's things in true crime series that are spoilers that really do sort of drive you to watch the rest of it, but it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Are you, us- are you usually a, f- a true crime guy? Like, is that something that you, like... Um, I don't want to say seek out, but is that something that you like generally like when it when it comes into your field? I think that it depends. Uh, I think that I like docu series more than I pref- like like true crime, and so I sure. just like the idea of being with a true story, quote unquote, for a long period of time. If it's a story that I'm interested in, I think I may have even said it on the show before a good documentary has the potential to be, like, my favorite 
movie of all time. You know what I mean? Like right, if I right. could pick anything to watch, sometimes it's going to be just an amazingly well done documentary. So I like the docu part of the true crime docu series more than I like the true crime element of it. But there's some amazing true crime you know, docu-series out there, you could make the argument that the OJ Made in America doc is a true crime doc, you know, because Mm -hmm. it is about a crime that actually happened and it was the biggest media circus of all time. So that's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. So it's more the docu-series part of it that I really like than the true crime. What about you? Are you a true crime head? I do. Um, I like a good mystery. I kind of, um, if I need... I feel like if I need something to watch and I'm not sure what to watch, if I can find either uh, a mystery of some kind uh, just to keep my mind occupied, then I really um, like that. And I'm like you where nothing wrong with fiction, but there's just something about watching something or reading something or listening to something and being like, oh, this actually happened that just makes the world much more interesting to me. Um, Earlier this year, I listened to... Uh, this podcast called Tom Brown's Body, um, and it's not a it's it's very kind of in the footsteps of serial. Sure. Um, and it's not like I it's like a gentleman seven I think in terms of just like podcasts okay. and like un like unsolved things because you're listening to it and you're like the the answer to this thing is that like it was a colossal fuck up on the investigator side that this is not solved at this point. Right. Um. But but all to say, there's just something about like uh, either unsolved mis- unresolved mysteries or unsolved mysteries that really just like make the world worth living in for me in some sure. capacity. So um, I haven't gotten around to watching this yet. Now that you mention it, maybe I'll put it on my list and watch it tonight. Um, but yeah, no, that's really really cool. Thank you, Chef. It is absolutely a full recommend. I think no matter who you are, there's going to be something there because the thing that separates this like from a, just a regular true crime docuseries where you're trying to figure out where did the investigation go wrong, how did the investigation you know get fucked with, this is a family drama. You know, this is a true crime series right. disguised, or this is, a, this is a family drama, dysfunctional family story disguised as a true crime series, ultimately. Ooh, and that's know. what really keeps me coming back and keeps me thinking about it, and it asks a lot of great questions. And you get to see the filmmaker grow up because he, this investigation starts in 2010 and the movie is, or the movie, the series is finished in 2020. So he grows up over the period of 10 years uh, as he's making this. So there is a little bit of that like boyhood element to it where it's like, Oh, you're actually seeing a man evolve and change and grow, you know, from behind the camera. So murder on middle beach, huge recommend, especially if you have HBO max, if you don't get HBO max, watch this Mason. What is your number five? So my number five, and I want to, um, I want to just uh, read actually a tweet that came into my field of vision yesterday okay. that is – I'm just losing it's, – it's the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Okay. Um, former President Barack Obama has a nasty habit of reinserting himself into the discourse the last couple of years by sharing his watching and listening habits. And his music listening this year was particularly confounding for whatever reason. Okay. And so this tweet was sent to me, and it says, um, in Obama's book – He was like, yeah, I would just say I'm into things to get positive attention from bisexual women. And a month later, he is here saying, OMG, I love Phoebe Bridgers. You exposed yourself on that one, pal. And with that being said, my number five is the Phoebe Bridgers song, Graceland 2. Um, Speaking of things that got me, like kind of carried me through the year on their back. This is such a 
Um, she so is that off I Punisher? Listen to the album Punisher is very very good. Um, I really like Punisher. That's another one that I feel is like album of the year contender. Um, but for as much as I liked that album, listening to it all the way through, nothing on it really spoke to me as much as the song Graceland Two T O O. Um, she wrote it about her friend Julian Baker after she got out of um, a, uh, I think, uh, a mental health facility. Um, the first line of this, the song is no longer a danger to herself or others. She um, laced up her, I think, and laced up her shoes. Um, and it's all about like Julian getting out of this facility, meeting Phoebe, and then them having like just this kind of like day basically of freedom finally and there's a line in it that really just uh, there's a line in it that i uh, i was holding on to a lot in terms of getting me prepared for the post-pandemic time and it's she knows it was all worth it to get to this moment um and i think that um it's going to show up in my top in a couple other choices in my top five i think where kind of the best way for me to get through a lot of the harder things that came up this year was thinking like, you know, it sucks right now. You're doing the best at what you can, but God damn it. It's going to feel so fucking good to be around when this is over and there's going to be like celebration and you can see your friends again and you can go to bars and you can meet, you know, kiss strangers or whatever and not think you're going to get a deadly disease. And I think, Graceland 2 kind of encapsulates that kind of like bruised knee optimism of like it like life and being alive is going to throw all manner of shit at you and if you can get through it then there is some sort of reward for for going through that um I would co-sign also just the whole album Punisher um it was kind of the like you know you know cute indie girl album of the year I feel not to be, not that sounds really dismissive. Phoebe Bridgers is a very talented artist. Um, but Graceland 2 spoke to me and, um, you know, per the theme here, was an emotional support um, for me in the latter half of the year. And for that, that's my number five. Haven't heard that song specifically, but for this episode, I did listen to Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers because I had never heard a Phoebe Bridgers song until a couple weeks ago. I had somehow avoided all of her album, you know, Stranger in the Alps, I believe is what it was called, the one with the ghost on it. Uh, mm. And I had pretty much avoided Punisher for all intents and purposes as well. Not in the sense that I was actively avoiding them. I just had never listened to her before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Maggie Rogers, and I know that they're, you know, besties, mm-hmm. basically. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know what? Let's give her a shot. I am interested to see how this goes. And I liked the album. I didn't love the album. At one point, mm. I thought maybe putting it on the honorable mentions would be like a, oh my God, he put Punisher on his honorable mentions thing and not on the list. But I just kind of realized, I was like, this. I like this album, but I don't love this album. I'll be interested to hear Graceland 2 uh, as well. Well, it's but, on that album in particular. Is so it, if it didn't, oh, <laughs> is it actually? Oh, then I it actually It is on have, the album, yeah. I've heard the song, and then I don't, I, it didn't matter to me at all. <laughs> Sorry, Mason. But uh, it, We're different people. It's a good album. Uh, I like the album. I don't know if I'm as hot on it, but I understand why people love the album. Uh, and I love that Maggie Rogers and Phoebe Bridgers are besties and they like do stuff together. Have you heard yeah. their cover of Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls? I did actually. So for my birthday, um, 
My friend G is also a very big Maggie Rogers fan. And for my birthday, she drove me down to Starved Rock State Park in the middle of Illinois. And we took a quick detour to get some Dunkin' Donuts, little little bagel, little bagel breakfast break. And she played me their cover of Iris. And I'm like, this is so nice. I love these two. It's so good. I love that these two are friends. It's I love that they hell, make dude. music together. Um I'm I love Maggie Rogers. I this was a 2020. I listened to a lot of Maggie Rogers, and I know it's technically like a 2016 through 18 or 19. I think was when her first album came out. But she kind of gets an honorable mention for me for this year, I guess. Sure. <laughs> just for being around. Her TikTok so is funny too. She's got a funny TikTok as far as just like, you know, making cute little vids. You know, she's funny. Yeah. So if you don't follow Maggie Rogers on TikTok. First of all, if you don't have TikTok, don't get TikTok. On that same tip, Phoebe Bridgers <laughs> also has a very good TikTok. Does she? Okay, well, maybe you're just a Phoebe Bridgers guy, and I'm a Maggie Rogers guy, and maybe and maybe that's how I describe Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> you're a little bit Maggie Rogers. Yeah, that's fuck. That's true. That's true as fuck. Uh, number f- we're now entering the top five zone. We're entering the top five zone. Mason, this is gonna blow your mind that this is on my list. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Number five. Is a music video. <laughs> Do you have any? Okay, yeah, it's a music video, and <laughs> that's crazy. I wanted Mason to actually say something since we're doing a audio medium, but you know. Okay, that is. Off. Wow, I can't. I'm gonna just say this and edit it in backwards. Wow, crazy! A music video on your top ten of the year list. Wow. Oh, very cool. Very funny. Um. I saw this music video show up on Twitter.com. It is by an artist that I had never really like dove into in its entirety, but he has been someone that's been on my radar since 2017 because of the certain collab that he has with a certain filmmaking brother pair. Uh, and this... Okay, I know what this is about to be, you little stinker. No, fuck off. Shut the fuck up. Let me talk about it. This music video is, I wish that I made this music video. This is unbelievable. The Safdie brothers are some of the best filmmakers out there, as we all know. But I truly, truly think they're some of the best of all time already this early into their career. And this music video really cemented that for me. This is the Lost But Never Alone music video by I think it's one o tricks point never. I believe is that that's how you actually say it. One o tricks. I think point it's never. own a tricks point never, but picking it at this point. Yeah, the, the and it was by him off his newest album Magic, uh, directed by Josh and Benny Safdie. This took my fucking breath away. Uh, this is a music video that you just have to see to believe. But there is a magic trick that happens at the end of this music video that literally was breathtaking to me. I could not believe it. I was stunned. I love in short form things when they subvert your expectations so much that they pull one little switcheroo at the end. And the Safety Brothers are so good at that. There's a short film I want to bring on this show when we're doing our normal format of the show that they did called John's Gone. Uh, which is a short film they did in the early 2010s. That was a big influence on a film that I made in 2018 called Happy Birthday Holden. Uh, And it's just amazing what they're able to do. I know it's not everybody's favorite short that the Safdie brothers have done, uh, this John's Gone one, but this music video by Ona Tricks Point Never is, is, it's just staggering. It's just you have to see it to believe it. If you like Adult Swim, if you like, you know, old TV, if you like 
cool lights, if you like stage productions, mm-hmm. this is the music video for you. I don't want to say anything more about it, truthfully, other than that for myself. Mason, have you actually seen this? I can't remember. I did. Yeah, I did. On your recommendation and then um, also on Colin's recommendation, he put it on our TV. Uh, I don't know. Not Didn't do it for me when I watched it, but I'm willing to give it another shot just to... It just didn't stick. I don't know if it was just when I watched it or what, but didn't stick with me when I watched it. So I'm happy you like it. I'll give it another shot, like I said. But um, that's that on that for me. Great. Mason, what is your number four? Uh, my number four is... Um, so this is probably going to end up being my number one just movie that I saw this year. I do have one more movie that comes up later, but there's a, a different. There's I'm gonna qualify it a little bit, but this okay. is I think my favorite movie of the year, and it's the um, speaking of documentaries, uh, it's the Garrett Bradley film Time. Have you okay. seen this? I haven't seen this one yet. Yeah, I I watched this um, on the recommendation of one of my coworkers. It was on Amazon Prime. It was an hour and twenty minutes, and it came. I think it was like in October, and. Um, I just kind of put it on. I had, It was kind of on my radar because I think it was like a festival thing earlier in the year. Like, oh, you got to watch out for this. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Um, and I put it on and I was just kind of um, – so if you don't know what it's about, it basically it follows this woman, um, Fox Rich, as she works to free her husband who is serving a 60-year prison sentence. And when we meet her, she it's like year, I think, 20 of that. Um, and this film intersplices like home video footage from, um, her basically, um, pregnant with twins, um, that the, the, her husband is the father of, and they have another son, I think. Um, and you're, you're watching this movie in more than almost anything that I saw this year or from this year or almost ever, I think it really makes you in such a short amount of time. Even it's only 80 minutes. It makes you realize what is taken away from people who have extended prison sentences. Um, Cause you're watching kind of in short succession, her, her, uh, their sons grow up and become people um, and you just realize that that's a lot of time that's lost. And you also realize that, you know, this Fox rich, uh, woman is not just like a prison sort of at like a, uh, uh, an advocate, but she also has like, um, I think she runs her own business, like as a used car lot or something like that to my memory. Um, but I'm watching this movie and it kind of just, I'm watching this movie and more it it just is living in my tear ducts. I'm so moved by this thing, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, moved to almost tears, but not quite. And, you know, just with, aside from the lockdown stuff it, and, you know, just the kind of other, uh, the, 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 the politics of the time, Black Lives Matter and things like that. And I'm really just watching it and I'm like, fuck man like I, people don't need to go to prison <laughs> like there's other solutions for this you know that don't take people's lives away from them um i think it's really remarkable i think it does so much with so little um and it will just absolutely uh wreck you and again it's another thing where it's like for this year 
it makes you it's it's a movie about mourning time that is lost and then appreciating time that you have moving forward at least to me um fox rich's husband can't get the 20 years of his life that he spent behind bars back um but i don't know i thought it was intensely moving like i said it's probably like i'm letterbox it's ranked number one currently i i can't imagine it's going to be moving much farther away from that um but that was it's 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 just incredible. It's just incredible. So that's uh, that's my number four. Excited to check it out. Uh, heard a lot of really good things about this one, and it's on Amazon Prime. So yeah. I'm gonna watch it at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, very excited to check this one out. And time happens to be uh, maybe the biggest theme of the year. Ultimately, yeah. you know, yeah, at the end really. of the day, and so uh, couldn't have probably come out at a better time. It sounds like for a lot of reasons. You know, yeah. Were you at gonna say something time, else? At a better time? Oh, can they come out at a better time? Oh! So, Noe, we know my number three. So what's your number four and your number three? Here we go, baby. Let's fucking go. Uh, Number four on my list. This was a pre-core watch, actually, believe it or not. So we're dipping back into the past. I believe this came out in February, initially. Uh, And I'm trying to think how I should start this, because this weirdly has big tentacles for me. This weirdly has big pre-branches for me. Uh, Pre-lockdown, pre-COVID, pre-the shit. I used to do this show, and I still do this show sometimes when it's virtual, called Everything Now. We've had Mm -hmm. a lot of guests on from Everything Now in the past. Uh, We've had Rocky on. We've had Jake Mm -hmm. on. We've had Chris Mm -hmm. on. They're all part Mm -hmm. of Everything Now, the, the, the core, part of the core five. And I remember sitting there one night after the show, hanging out, and Rocky says, hey, Noah, have you ever, and we were just talking about, you know, comedians that we like or Twitter accounts that we like that are sort of not as known or whatever at the time. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, Noah, have you ever heard of Whitmer Thomas? And I said, Mm -hmm. no, I've never heard of Whitmer Thomas. And I thought that was the funniest name of all time. I was like, who the fuck is named Whitmer? That name sucks so much dick. And he showed me the Twitter (laughs) account, and it was like, funny i just was laughing but i thought he was like a weird guy i was like this guy kind of reminds me of like bugs bunny in a way where he just doesn't even seem like real but he seems really smart for like what he's doing but he's talking in a way that feels weird and i think whitmer like kind of threw me off i had never heard that name before and i was like that's cool that's cool and then i heard you know what 2020 rolls around and i hear that he's getting his own you know hbo stand-up special called the golden one and I'm like, okay, I'm going to check that out. You know, Whitmer Thomas is sort of on my radar now. This should be interesting. And I'm sitting in my North Hollywood apartment in the chair that I spent a lot of fucking time in, Mason. And I did not stop crying watching The Golden One for the entirety of its runtime. Calling The Golden One a stand-up special is unfair to The Golden One. This is a stand-up special, but more than that, it is a personal reflection documentary about Whitmer Thomas's life growing up with a dad who walked out on his family and a mom who had a terrible drug problem, a terrible drinking problem, and somehow Whitmer Thomas is basically trying to figure out how his life got to the place that it's at. There's music in this stand-up special, there's jokes in this stand-up special, and they actually interview his father who has since... He was, had grown up, re-entered his life, and they have some seriously intimate conversations, even asking questions to the point, why did you go? Why did you leave? And having these conversations. And I, was in t- I just could not stop crying. I was so moved 
by this comedy special, by this documentary, by this piece of art that Whitmer Thomas and his uh, partner Clay Tatum directed. Uh, this is... I, I had to move this up so high. At one point, this was sitting at number eight, and I'm like, I can't not put this... Like, I have to put this yeah. in the top five. This is that good. And I still listen to the album songs. I still put on the songs from this album because they're not just funny. They're funny and good. Hurts to be Alive is a great song. Great title for a song. Dumb in Love, Party to Death, Dancing with My Dad, and the titular song, The Golden One. They're all just great songs. This is something that I, if you haven't seen this, what are you doing, guys? Check this out. I loved The Golden One. Aya Lehman, who's a former guest of the show, also loves The Golden One. She's the only person who I know who likes it just as much as I do and has actually seen it and been vocal about it. So shout out Chef Aya for liking and loving The Golden One and having seen it. It's fucking unreal, dude. Whitmer Thomas's new hero. New new hero of mine, man. Have you seen this, Mason? <laughs> no, I have not. Uh... <laughs> no, I saw that one coming a mile away. But yeah, are you going to check it out? <laughs> it's on my list. Yeah, baby. Hell yeah. Uh, so that's my number four. And we already talked about Mason's number three, which was my number seven. Uh, Moomin and Music Part 3 by Heim. My number three, Mason is something that we actually talked about on The Normal Show. Something that we actually talked about somewhat early on in lockdown. You want to take a guess at what it might be? Uh, huh. If it was early on in lockdown, I don't think my memory goes back that far. So why don't you just say... Why don't I just do the was. big reveal right now? Number three for me, and this used to be lower, and I kept re-listening to this album, been prepped for this show... And I had to put it at number three. I think I know what this is now. Mm-hmm. Brave Faces, Everyone by Spanish Love yeah, Songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another pre-core listen. Uh, this was the album that I was listening to this and uh, Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey when I was working uh, my last PA job prior to lockdown and prior to coming back to Portland for uh, the time being. I was basically switching off this and uh, Norman fucking Rockwell and just sitting in my van that I had to drive for this job, just like so vibing to what these people were saying in the song. The opening lyrics of the album are, on any given day, I'm a six of ten. And the album has this sort of narrative of like wanting to push on, but feeling like you need to go home to take a break. I was feeling very homesick at the time, being like, why am I working these PA jobs? Why? What is this all for? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I literally had a wish, like at the end of February, I'm like, after this fucking PA job is over, which was going to be over at the beginning of April, I'm going to go home for, like, a little bit. Not as, like, a permanent thing or anything. I was just like, I just need to, like, go home and, like, see my folks for, like, a week or two and just, like, hang out and see my family or whatever. Uh, careful what you wish for, Mason, because yep. this thing called uh, coronavirus came in, and I pretty much decided I was going to move home for an indefinite period of time. Like I keep saying, I am moving back to L.A. Uh, once the vaccine or if I get a job that is uh, more permanent. So if you know of any office PA jobs that are opening up, holler at your boy, Noah Marger, so that he can go back Let's early. Holler at your boy. Holler at your boy. Uh, Mason, we've talked about this album ad nauseum on the episode, uh, but I know you've heard it. Every song on this album is good, and even the songs that I don't have a little heart to next to them on Spotify are good songs. And those songs are Kick and Losers 2. Those are probably my least favorite Mm. songs on the album. But I just love the lyricism in this. I love how powerful this song is, and I love how vulnerable they are about 
really tender spots in their lives of just feeling like they don't know what the fuck they're doing, feeling lost, feeling like they're wasting their time, but ultimately reconciling and realizing, man, this is my life that I have to live and I have to live it the way I want to, regardless of what other people think or regardless of what the own negative self-talk that I give myself is. So that's why I had to put it at number three. In a lot of ways, it kind of not defined my pre-corona time of 2020, but really sort of echoed a lot of things that I was thinking and feeling at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I like that album a lot. Um, couldn't quite make either my honorable mentions or my actual list just because I was into it a lot right around when we were recording and it didn't really stick around much for me after the fact, but I sure. do really, really um, appreciate that album's energy and that album's um just sort of just again just like just gritting your fucking teeth through um whatever's happening and trying to just make the best out of a bad situation and i think that that's also a big theme for this year absolutely um so on that level i can't appreciate its its um placement on your list even if for me it didn't quite burrow deep love that love 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 that uh love that album you just have to go listen to that episode i do remember what we talked about in conjunction with that yeah that was our internet videos episode oh yeah okay that's, that's actually one of, one of our most, most listened to episodes too honestly <laughs> which is i don't know if it's just because we talked about the demented cartoon movie or because we talked about brave faces everyone or both but that's one that like i look at the numbers on that episode and i'm like why is this one hit so hard with the folks? People fucking are looking backwards, baby, you know, because time moving forward seems so crazy that they're like, we're looking back at the old fucking internet videos that we used to fucking plow through. So in a way I get it. And in another way, it's like, are people really that, <laughs> is that really the one that people want to go for, you know? But yeah, I guess so. But yeah, number three, Spanish love songs, brave faces, everyone. Uh, again, you go listen to our full episode that we did, or a half of the episode that we did about that. And actually, it's just a really fun episode of the show. So if you, for some reason, didn't miss that one, that's like probably a top 10, at least as of now, episode that I think we've recorded of our own show. If I had to rank my yeah, 10 no, favorite that episodes. That was <laughs> uh, my, my doomed um, August relationship. When I mentioned that I had a podcast, that was the one that I sent along to her. And uh, <laughs> and then she said, all right, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Mason, what's number two? So speaking of going back to the past. Nice. And here's my, here's my qualification for my number two. My number two is a movie, but my number two is also a phenomenon. And that okay. phenomenon, baby, was fucking mank. Wow. Okay. Nothing got me through most of this year more than knowing I was going to have a new David Fincher movie in December to watch. You can't believe it's number two. Go on. Yeah, okay. Sure. You can't. Again, sure. I love I loved the movie. I really I would stand by the movie. I know it's like a meme on Letterboxd to be like, it's so boring. I can't believe this movie so boring. But I'm just like, you forgot how to watch fucking movies, you morons. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be mad at people that I don't. In any case, um. This is a movie about a, uh, a guy that has uh, fucked up and he gets the chance to redeem himself by writing, you know, the greatest movie of all time. Um, and I think, and um, there's almost nothing. It, it was, here's the thing with me and Mank. You know me. You've only known me for 
for a short period of time, all things considered, but you do know me and you know that when I am excited about something, I get very excited about something. Sure, sure. And this was like the one, usually in a movie, in a a year of movies, there'll be like a a movie a quarter that I'm going to be really excited about. Sure. This one carried me through for most of the year until I've heard about it. I was so hyped for the trailer. When the trailer dropped, I couldn't do nothing but rewatch the trailer. I got myself into mank discourse amongst um, friends and coworkers that I should have stayed out of. And then when the movie came, I was so pleased that it was actually really, really fucking good. And I know everyone's not really hot on it or whatever. And it's not, you know, the best Fincher movie or whatever. And it is, yes, kind of the ultimate and... And I'll be all dad movie because, you know, it was written by Fincher's dad and it was this passion project for years and his dad died before it was written. It's about making a Citizen Kane and all of that. But it doesn't really matter because it's also to me, it's also about um, witnessing history and um, taking the times that you have um, lived through and turning it into something that is um, Taking such a, 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 a nebulous, amorphous thing as like the concept of time or the concept of history or the concept of, you know, um, politics or something and turning it into something enduring, something physical like art. And I don't think that it makes the case that Orson Welles didn't have a hand in in the making of the before the movie came out, people were getting up in their fucking arms about the fact that it was going to like, you know, uh, suggest that Orson Welles wasn't responsible for what. Citizen Kane is so good. It doesn't do that. It just says, it just makes the case that, like, this guy's life and this guy's experience informed the writing of the movie only. And it doesn't draw away, I think, from Orson Welles' contribution or his direction in any kind of way. And at the end of the day, I had a blast watching Mank. I think Gary Oldman's really good in the movie. I'm not a huge Oldman head, but I think it's it was nice that he got to play a man. It's interesting. He plays a man 20 years younger than him that looked at the same time 40 years older than Gary Oldman. For sure. Mankiewicz had a rough life. Amanda Seyfried is really fucking good in it. Charles Dance as as William Randolph Hearst is also really good in it and also really frightening, I think. Um, Your man Tom Burke is in this movie, dude. I think old Hollywood is really interesting in that kind of studio system. I thought it was really snappy. It just kind of checked a ton of boxes for me. I had it lower, but I'm like, no, Mank was the Mank was a phenomenon for me this year, and I had to give that its due. Uh, I haven't rewatched it, and I'm sure that when I rewatch it, I'll eventually like it more. Um, but that's why Mank is on there. I know it's not going to be on your list at all, but I loved, I loved, I love a de Mank. I loved the Mank. You didn't even mention that your man Tom Burke is in this movie as Mr. Wells himself. Yes, yes, yes. My my boy Tom Burke. Um, I, need, I didn't realize he was on that show Utopia, and now that rocketed towards the top of my list to watch because he's on Utopia. Um, I was honestly a little disappointed with how little Tom Burke was in that movie, but I think sure. he does a really good job of being Orson Welles. Um, Agreed. It's a that Orson Welles is weirdly like a – almost like a death sentence for an actor because it's like he's so iconic that it's like how can you even do it because even if you do it amazingly well – you're never going to be Orson Welles. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like Elvis Presley. Even if yeah. you do it amazingly well, you're never going to be Elvis Presley the way Elvis Presley was Elvis Presley. Yeah. But that being said, he did a great Orson Welles, and it was he really did. good I in the movie. I think the thing with Tom Burke, I, you know, Fincher is such a good, ca- is a good a- such a good actor's director. He's such He knows how to cast for, for parts really well. 
Um, and that's why I think he casted a lot of actors that were older than the people they were playing. I think Tom Burke is pushing, if not over 30, and Orson Welles is, you know, as we all know, like was in his early 20s when he made Citizen Kane. Um, and I think that Tom Burke does the right thing by not doing an impression of Orson Welles, but by um, playing a young person who is given a lot of creative control and has a bit of an ego and a, and a uh, uh, has a bit of an ego, and I think he plays the ego uh, of Orson Welles really well. I, I like Orson Welles. I like him as a you know a filmmaker and stuff. I don't know why I'm trying to honor the legacy of a guy who's been dead for like 30 years, but um, I, I think that Tom Burke does a really good job. And, and like you said, he is kind of an impossible person to play because you're doing a really bad impression. And I like that he that Tom Burke doesn't try to do an impression of Orson Welles, um, or a bad impression at least. That just made me realize how amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance of Truman Capote is. That yeah, just made right? me realize that because I don't think about Capote the movie a lot, but obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman's on my mind, you know, all the time. He's the yeah. best actor I've ever seen, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and his performance of Capote is so good because. That's another iconic guy with an iconic voice and an iconic way about him. And yet, I never was like, oh, he's doing an impression of Truman Capote. I was like, yeah, oh, exactly. that's like, Truman Capote thing, up yeah, there. Yeah, the great thing about Capote and his performance as Capote is you watch it and you're like, I don't know if this is my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, but like, this is the one you give him the Oscar for, right? Absolutely. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe you give it to him for the master because it would have been the last time you would have ever gotten a chance to give him an Oscar, but we didn't know that. For sure. Um, and The Master is probably his best performance, but you can, he at least got his fucking Oscar, and I think it was for a really good performance. Absolutely. Uh, Mank equals Stank. Moving on. <laughs> Not going to be on my list. Uh, moving on. Number two for me. I'm actually maybe surprised. I don't know if this will come. If, it, if this is on your list, then it has to be number one, obviously, because we're sort of at that point, process of elimination. But I don't think it's going to be on your list, Mason, and I'm a little surprised, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, number two for me is another HBO Max thing. Number two for me is a TV show. I'm not a huge TV guy, but when oh, I find something I, okay, that I like, okay. mm-hmm. when I find something that I like that's a TV show, I'm going to devour it. Six episodes of this show, not a bad episode in the bunch. And the episodes that hit hard, some of the best stuff I've seen all year. That's why it's number two on the list. Number two for me, the executive produced by Nathan Fielder show, How To With John Wilson, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This show is Joe Para Talks With You through the lens of All Gas, No Breaks. And that's how I've been describing it to people who are like, what the fuck is How To With John Wilson? They're first-person documentaries narrated by John Wilson, who is also filming everything that you see, and he is finding the banal beauty, the weirdness, the fringe freakiness that is so hard to look away from in life, and ultimately the magic trick of the show is every episode he tells you how you are going to improve on something, how you can do something, how you can you know better your life in some way, and he always ends up turning it back on himself, and they become personal essays that reveal something greater about the speaker. And those are beautiful magic tricks, my friend. 30 minutes of that is just, it's a delight. There's episodes where I am nearly in tears, the entire time, either because I'm laughing or either because I'm moved 
by what John is doing. The finale of How To with John Wilson for season one could not have come at a better time. Uh, it is coronavirus related, but it that is all I'm going to say about it. There's a thing that happens, I believe, in the fourth episode that literally made my jaw drop. I could not believe that something like that could be shown on screen, let alone that that kind of thing could exist at all. I think I know what you're talking about, and it's... Yes. (laughs) And for those of you listening along at home, Mason just uh, gave me a big middle finger and then licked it and then went, "Mm, yummy, 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 I love you. I love to flip you off. Uh, How To With John Wilson is one of the best things I've seen all year, and I'm ecstatic that they're getting a season two that was just announced after the sec- the sixth episode dropped. So number two for me, How To With John Wilson, executive produced by Michael Komen and Nathan Fielder, starring John Wilson, the man who knows how to get under your skin in the best, most positive way. And I'm surprised that maybe it's not on your list at all, Mason. You know what? Um, It did not occur to me until we started. I wasn't even putting, like, TV brain Mason on this list. I was just – because this was just such a big year of, like – listening to music and, and watching movies for me. Sure. Um, hat. And also I had just started watching how to with John Wilson, I think maybe a week or two ago, like finally sat down and started to give it, um, you know, the time. Cause uh, it had been kind of recommended in my circles a lot. Um, and I am a little, uh, upset at myself for not thinking about it when I was making this list because I absolutely would have had a spot for it um, on here. It's um, I haven't seen the finale yet. Um, I think I've only seen up to episode four. Maybe I watched episode five. I can't remember. Um, The thing that about it, watching it was, which was so interesting was seeing life in like right pre pandemic and seeing people walk around in New York city you know, right on top of each other, not wearing masks. Um, and also just, I, John Wilson has such an interesting way of navigating and seeing the world. There's not a single episode that's not interesting. Um, there's not a single person that he meets that doesn't have something uh, that doesn't, I, I'm thinking about, in, 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 at least in the very first episode, is the first episode the one where he goes down to Cancun and meets that guy, Chris? Yes, that is, yeah. Yeah, I think once he go when he goes down to Cancun, um, that's when the show reveals itself to me, to the audience fully, I think. For sure. Um, and I was actually moved, and it just was, um, yeah. I'm going to big do another big old cosign stamp on that one. I do feel like a big old dum-dum for not finding room for it on my <laughs> list, but... Yeah, guys, if you haven't seen How To with John Wilson, it's probably the thing that I'm most excited to see return in terms of, like, TV and stuff like that. Um, it's so um, – it's it's just so good. It's so good. All right. All right. Number, number one, one Mason. Oh. Number one. Number time, one. So here's another thing that I realize that I do. Um, sometimes something will come into my life at some point in the year. And I will call my shot and be like, this is going to be my favorite X for the year. Um, In 2019, it was The Souvenir. I saw that in theaters, and I'm like, it's going to be hard for anything to top this for me personally. And some things came close, but nothing really got over that particular movie for me. Uh, I know we feel different ways about that. Uh, This year, I heard this song in February, and um, it was my... uh, I heard this song in February and I thought if there's something that unseats this from my favorite song of the year, I'm going to be really 
curious what that is. And nothing did. And almost nothing that came out this year kind of eclipsed my kind of emotional reaction to the song, either when I heard it the first time or the uh, multiple times afterwards that I heard it. Um, And I thought about just putting this whole album on here because I really wanted to shout out the whole album too because the album I really, 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 really like and I love a lot of songs on that album. But for me, my favorite thing from 2020... The number one thing that got me through this year, from this year, more than anything, is Waxahachie's song, Fire. Um, So I just kind of want to give um, Katie Crutchfield the time. Uh, She spoke about this song in a press release that is quoted on Genius.com. Here we go. Um, And here's what she has to say about this song. The idea and melody for Fire was dreamt up while driving over the Mississippi River from Memphis into West Memphis, Arkansas, sun reflecting off the water, which literally made West Memphis glow. The song's written by me to myself. It's about the internal dialogue of shame surrounding mistakes you've made in the past and how we spiral and beat ourselves up when we slip. It's meant to be a bit of a personal pep talk. If I can love myself unconditionally, then I can move through the world a little easier. If I can accept that I only have a partial view of the universe and that I can't know everything or control much of anything, then I can breathe a little easier, take better care of myself, and be closer to my own truth. So, the pandemic threw a wrench into people's plans. We've said it on this episode. (laughs) We've said it a lot on the show. We've said it in our real life. We've said it online. We've said it to anyone who In every single way that you can. Yeah, exactly. This song came out in February pre-pandemic, pre-when we knew what this year was going to give to us. And it ended up kind of being... In the way that a character hears the theme... Like, the uh, hears something in the beginning of a story, rejects that lesson, and then relearns it again towards the end by the third act or something, and then they sure. internalize and move forward. This was kind of this... If this year was a movie of my life, this is the song or the message that I would hear at the beginning reject and keep coming back until it kind of like burrowed deep. And I was like, Oh, this is what is all about this year. Sure. Um, more than anything for me, I had to really learn this year how to take care of myself and put myself first and just give myself things that I was looking for either in other people or external means. And, you know, I got, got to this point where I realized this is what I had to learn through a lot of therapy through a lot of talking with friends, through a lot of you know, meditation, internal work, journaling, things like that. Um, Fire is a very simple song. It is a chorus, a verse, and a chorus. There's like no real bridge. There's an outro. Um, and every time I've listened to it, no matter the context, no matter the time of year, no matter when I've needed it, I put it on, I hear the kind of like first um sort of it's like i think she's playing like an electric organ or something um the first note of the electric organ hits and i can just exhale and katie crutchfield is just says katie crutchfield gives me like two or three minutes of peace <laughs> basically um and when i was trying when i was coming up with this list this was easily going to be my number one and in kind of doing some other sort of justification to myself i could you know, I, I would be very sad to lose anything on my top ten list or my num or like my honorable mentions. 
or anything great that I didn't get around to hearing and, or listening to this year. But I don't know. I feel like if I didn't have this song this year, it would have had a real hell of a time. And I'm going to keep coming back to the song, I think, forward on in my life, just when I need moments of peace, when I need moments of of, of um, self-understanding or just sort of being like a reminder that there's so little you can actually control. You can basically only control what you're you 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 in your body can extend through your body and what you do with that and how you've put that out into the world um and just a reminder of that and a reminder to just like not be so um mad or beat yourself up um for things outside of your control like a global pandemic or other things you know um and it's just just it's beautiful it's it's um the best thing that happened to me this year basically was hearing the song i think that's not true but it's it was an easy number one it was for sure going to be my number one even since february i think um and i I just can't say enough good things about it and i just just i think it's a one thing from this year that i think anybody listening to it would take something away from so that's why it's my easy number one um, Noah, do you have any familiarity with either this song, this album, or this artist? I listened to this album, uh, this year. Uh, I listened to this album on the recommendation of my friend, Philip Vernon. I don't know if Philip Vernon listens to this podcast, but I put out there that, hey, everyone, uh, I want to listen to more albums from this year, uh, mostly so that I could make sure that I put together a pretty good, uh, somewhat of a good list for this episode. Right. And he said... Listen to Golfer by Golfer and listen to uh, Waxahachie's album from this year. So I did. I listened to both. And I like this song. <laughs> Not maybe to the degree that you do. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if this song is going to, I wonder if this album is going to make my list. And I like this album. I like this song. Um, and I was a little bit curious as to, as to why a lot of people liked this song and liked this album so much. Maybe if I had heard this album prior to listening to the Haim album, maybe it would have sort of done that job for me. But I think that Haim album almost does the thing that uh, the mm-hmm. the Waxahachie song or this album or the Waxahachie album does for you. Maybe a little bit differently. I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm not as key, I'm not as hot on it uh, as some other folks, but I don't dislike the album. I don't dislike the song in any way. Mm-hmm. It's a nice song. I'll put it on sometimes. But you know, I'm glad it. I'm glad that it it really holds that place for you. Uh, that's an amazing thing when art's able to do that for you. So shout out to Fire by Waxahachie. What's the name of the actual album itself? St. Cloud. St. Cloud by Waxahachie. Um, yeah, great, great number one, Mace. Love that for the number one. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people out there are going to be happy that that's your number one. So there you go. My number one. My yeah, favorite bro, thing. My favorite thing that came out this year. Ever heard of a little thing called Apple TV Plus? I promise this relates. <laughs> Goodness, Ever heard of a I, can't, thing? I was not prepared for you to say that. Uh, I was not prepared for that. Okay, <laughs> yes, I am familiar with Apple TV Plus. Great. Uh, kind of a bad streaming service, Mason, as far as original content is concerned. Oh, you mean you're not a big fan of The Morning Show? Or is The Morning Show going to be your number one? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, The Morning Show is not going to be my number one. There's not a lot of good stuff on there, Mason. And it's not a very expensive streaming service. It's actually very inexpensive as far as streaming services go. It's $5 a month. But there is one thing on Apple TV Plus 
that is so good and so worth your time that you will forget to cancel Apple TV Plus and pay for it for a couple more months after you have watched the one thing that you got Apple TV Plus to watch. Do you know what that thing is, Mason? I, I don't know what's on Apple TV Plus, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you need to. Because the best movie of 2020 is on Apple TV Plus, and I'm not kidding. The best movie of 2020, and my number one pick for my favorite thing that came out in 2020, is the documentary Boy State, Mason. Okay, 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 okay. Directed by Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain. This follows a group of kids, pre-pandemic, who participate in the Texas Boys State. I believe it's 250 kids from around the state get together and hold mock representative government, basically, and form committees to elect people. The big, you know, shining beacon that everyone wants to reach for is running for governor. And Texas is a mixed state. Texas is a red state. There's parts of it Texas that are is red. Texas a landlocked state. Texas, no, it's not. It's got the Gulf right there, so not. No, a I know, state. but that's a Mitski lyric, and I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> okay, weird of you. <laughs> Love it though. Uh, but it's also got some blue in there as well. And this is a devastating doc because it is so inspirational on one hand, and absolutely terrifying on the other. There are things that these kids do in this documentary that I hope I never even come close to the train of thought. Of having Holy shit. Okay. the way that they fuck with each other, the way that they try and mudsling and the way that they stoop to that is a perfect microcosm of how the U.S. government and politics in the United States seem to work. Potentially politics outside of the United States as well. Just the way that political parties rip us apart and make us turn into people that we don't like. There is a young man that you get to follow in this doc. He's one of the main subjects of the doc, arguably the main subject of the doc. His name is Steven Garza. Steven Garza is a progressive young man in a state where a lot of people aren't progressive. A lot of people are uh, conservative, and if they are liberal, they're not progressive. They're probably neo-libs. Right. And Steven Garza is progressive. He's a young man, and he's going to run for governor of Boys State, of Texas Boys State. And to watch him work his way to being one of the final people that ultimately has to run for governor is one of the most emotional things I have ever seen. And there is a scene that when I was thinking about what to write about for my number one spot, I pretty much knew Boy State was going to be number one, similar to how you knew that uh, Fire was going to be number one for you. Uh, I was crying thinking about this scene that happens toward the end of the movie. I literally was writing it down, notes for to talk about here, and I started crying. Because it is that powerful, and it happens toward the end of the film, and I, there's a spoiler involved, and so I'm not going to say anything more. But this is one of the most powerful films I've ever seen in my entire life. It talks about government, it talks about human nature, and it talks about trying to do the right thing in a situation where nobody is going to help you try and do the right thing. And yet, somehow, he perseveres, and he tries to do the right thing. He tries to help other people. He tries to be a good person. And the system is not made to support this man. The system is not made to help this man do the right thing. It is to further your own individual interests. But it is an inspiring documentary. It is a terrifying documentary. And it is absolutely essential 
watching. Essential viewing. One of the most amazing movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Boy State. Boy State, baby. Mason, you have to get Apple TV Plus I do just for the to. free trial I do to watch to pay this $5 movie. $5 a month. Um, I will have to uh, unsubscribe from OnlyFans in order to pay for this. <laughs> Everyone's got to make sacrifices, Mason. Everyone's got to fucking. <laughs> we all got to fucking pitch into you know keep the family farm afloat. Sometimes that means not paying to whack your dick. We got to sell so our price. Paying. You got to sell. That's you. That's Old an Jack's euphemism. Right? Have to go down to the rubber factory. Got to. <laughs> Grandpa's got to stop. Uh, got to stop subscribing to his OnlyFans. <laughs> that's right, dude. I hate having to tell old people. People, you can't pay for porn anymore, but sometimes you got to tell old folks, sorry, bro, yeah. can't pay for porn. But that's my number one, Boy State. Absolutely a monster of a movie. Hell yeah. Can't recommend it enough. But Hell I think yeah. that does it, my friend. I think that I think that does it. I think it does. Uh, we've done it. All right, folks. Um, thanks for listening to this episode, this year-end wrap-up. Um, thanks for, if you've, you know, for as uh, this was a fun year for the show. You know, it kind of worked out that uh, the world uh, molded itself to the ideal conditions for this particular podcast. Yeah, <laughs> would, exactly. Would have liked for it to be different, but you do what you can. Um, I don't know. I've had fun doing the show this year. I can't wait for what's coming up next year. Um, and I just want to say otherwise, you can find information for our show and for the hosts at the links in the description. You can follow me on Letterboxd. You can follow me on Instagram. You can listen to my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the shield. And you can just, um, I don't know what else you can do. Noe, what about, uh, what about you? What can the folks do, uh, for you? Uh, you can. <laughs> Can't do jack shit for me. <laughs> No, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd if you really so desire. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, my my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. I believe when this episode comes out, the episode about Avatar The Last Airbender will be coming out later in the week. And I am talking to Amelia Smart Denson, a longtime friend uh, and ve- one of my favorite people in the entire world. Uh, so I'm excited to get her on the pod to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender, the TV show, with that. Haven't recorded that yet, but I am excited to. That's coming up this week, if you're listening to this podcast and when it comes nice. out. Uh, but yeah, Mason, take us out. All right, folks. For the last time in 2020, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, abolish, defund the police, fuck Donald Trump, tell someone you love him, give someone a hug if that's safe for you. Um, I don't know. And we'll see you all next year. Have a great end of year, everyone. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.